Hey, it's Armin, and this is episode three of Touching Grass. A uh, special episode because we are finally out of the cupboard in Manchester, and we are in a cupboard in London instead. Um, I, I kind of, I think I prefer this because it's kind of bigger. It's more spacious, but kind of smells worse. It's my sister's cupboard. Um, anyway, enough talk about cupboards. Uh, yeah, usual disclaimers. So, the t-shirt is out on Everpress. Our Kickstarter is up if you'd like to donate. That would be amazing. Um, we have an Instagram and a Twitter. All our social media can be found in the bio of the podcast. It's all on the link tree there. Don't know why I'm saying our. It just feels more professional, I guess. This link tree, my link tree, touching grass link tree, I should say. Um... This episode is different, this episode is new, because instead of going straight into the the like main bulk of the episode, which is titled The Bardo Loop, um, we're doing a QA. We're doing a QA. Um this is actually my friend Manus uh suggested this. I th- I thought it was a really good idea. Um it's like a way to talk to you guys at the start of each episode. I'm gonna try and do it from now on. Um, I asked on our Instagram story for you guys to send in whatever questions that you did have. And I got a decent number, which was which was really cool. I, I part of me felt like we wouldn't get any. Um but yeah, so I, I think I'll go into the QA. Like I wanna do like a little song before we like for each section, but I, I don't have anything like at the moment. So if anyone out there can it like happens to be able to to make music that would be cool Uh, i'll try and figure something else on my own for next episode though but for now let's uh let's jump into it q a section um i should i should i should have a name for this Uh, we should title i need a title for this as well i'll 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 take suggestions for that anyway q a q and a now question one um so there was like a mix of questions about me and questions about the podcast so starting with I'll, I'll just talk about the the me questions first and then we'll talk about the podcast itself now serena asked when did you start getting so into nature and what does it mean to you i i really like this question because i do like nature thank you um i always i was like always into the outdoors like i was always into just earth I was reading those, like, National Geographic kids magazines, like, forever. Um, I only really spent, like, personal time outdoors from maybe, like, year 10 onwards. When I was, like, from the age of, like, 15, 16, um, like, the people who know me would know that there's a forest nearby where I live, which I spend a lot of time. Probably the first time I visited there was around year 10. And then... It was never like an active like wow look at me in in a forest like I just I just walked through and I listened to podcasts I listened to music I think lockdown was a big a big moment because like that was it was more consciously like an opportunity for me to be alone and be out so I was more conscious of the fact that I was in nature and among trees and like among flowers and grass and all this honestly though as far as really like really being like obsessed like in love 
I, I I'd say like I always liked it. Um, but I only like deeply, deeply fell in love with it at the beginning of this year, because like the end of last year was kind of like tricky for me mentally, and then I just in like from January onwards, it was actively like an effort to heal me going outside, and I was I was always into like the spirituality and all that and learning about like all of the spiritual side of things, but when it actively comes from a place of trying to grow and trying to heal and all of that is like so deeply associated with literally just like touching grass going and climbing trees rolling around in like fields and stuff like that that was like a big moment like that was huge for me that was probably when the my relationship with like outdoors as it is now started I mean like my friends probably knew that I liked the outdoors like for my entire life, but it's only really since January that it's become like so much more important to me. And it's because it was so like closely related with trying to get better and trying to be better and trying to like figure out who I was and, and what I liked and what, why I enjoyed life and all this stuff. So yeah, that's 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 when I started getting into re- like really deeply connected to to nature, and that's I guess what it means to me. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Serena, for the question. Um, Zoe asked what kind of music I listen to. Uh, I can I I think I'll put my Spotify in the in the bio of the the podcast, so you, so you guys can can look at that if you want. I can, I really I hate to be that guy, but I do genuinely listen to everything. Like I I go through uh phases on on Spotify all of my playlists are titled by dates so that I can see like what time of my life I had what phase, so you'll see I go through some random like like psych rock from the seventies, and then I go into like indie soul and then I go into R and B and then I start listening to I went through like a massive Deftones phase as well like literally everything. So you can you can look at my Spotify if you want. I'll I'll put that in in the podcast. Um, Molly said, "How do I deal with spending time on my own?" Because Molly's going on a trip. Well, I hope that the year abroad is fruitful. I hope I hope that is nice. It will be nice. Um, for me, this is like quite a big thing because I do I feel like I do spend like quite a lot of time on my own especially outdoors and stuff like this and I mean I I kind of have to like explain why it's like for me I, I mean we talked in the in the first episode about all this stuff about like the ego being an illusion and stuff like that you ask how I deal with spending time on my own I, I feel like that's part of it is because I've understood that my social self isn't real like the the person who talks and the person who like the person who presents isn't real from like a spiritual perspective from like the buddhist perspective like that's the, the like my ego isn't there there is no substance to it it's a it's it's an illusion it's not like it's not actually there so like when i do spend time alone it's more there's something more true to it in a sense like i I see it as like a, an opportunity to like get away from that part of me that thinks it's real 
and try and understand like sort what's true from what's not so when i am like just walking and like like climbing a tree or something i I am usually just like thinking consciously like trying not to think because i know my thoughts aren't my thoughts aren't me my thoughts aren't who i am who i am is like the observer of the thoughts right and I guess it's like all of the spiritual stuff. Like I, sp- I love spending time on my own because I get to like quiet down me. Because I mean, am I alone if I if I'm not if I don't exist? Who's alone? There's there is no I. There is no, there is no them. I know that made no sense, at all. But like <laughs> that is like the truest way I could answer that. Um, I guess a more normal answer is. I listen to podcasts. Podcasts are cool. Um, I listen to music. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I guess when you when you spend more time alone and you like you learn more about like what the fuck is going on like inside, it, it kind of helps being a better person on the outside. Unless unless you start building like getting prideful in that as well, which I found myself guilty of. But that's for another episode. I hope that was an awful, that was a terrible answer, but I hope that suffices. Um, I had another question. Um, I Well, someone said, not a question, but a request for episodes on botany and a tie to history would be cool. 100%. Botany is going to be like a massive part of the podcast, which is why, just for you, Inaya, just for you, I have decided that the next episode, um, episode four, is going to be titled a biography of the opium poppy so i'm gonna talk about like the biology of opium poppies but also like all of the the historical and like the cultural impacts like heroin medicine um the opium wars like china middle east all of the like political stuff going on right now all of that next episode look forward to that just for you um but i'll do more i'll do more botany in general i'll do more botany um Mauna said, tell us about the medicinal uses of psychedelics. I will do an episode on that too. I'll, I'll make that episode five about spi- psychedelics in therapy. That will be episode five, mark my words. Um, and he also said, did you know berserkers use, use psychedelics? Um, and this I did not know. I, I looked up, like I researched it, but it was actually really cool. Like the Vikings um supposedly used like uh fly agaric that mushroom that we mentioned the red and white mushroom um mentioned it last episode but apparently they used it and went into like again like a berserker rage um and helped with uh fighting and like warfare and all this stuff that that is amazing like i could probably do an episode in that of that in itself so thank you for telling me about that that was really cool um Louis, Louis didn't say a question, but he did message me just like privately and, and he told me about, he sent me a couple of things about Aztec philosophy. And I thought that was really cool, especially with the episode I did on like Aztec and Mayan culture for like last time. Um, so I wanted to also mention Louis and say thank you. Um, and I will do an episode on Aztec philosophy now as well. Again, like, the fact that so many people just have been like engaged with this podcast and sent in questions like this and have like helped me think and like come up with new ideas and all this stuff like i'm blessed and i love this and i love you guys so thank you so much thank you um that was all of the 
submissions for the q a i'll do another q a uh like textbooks thing on my instagram soon so that's another reason to follow touching grass podcast on instagram get at that um i'll also put a q a couple like a question box in the spotify so if you're watching on spotify you can answer that but yeah i think that wraps up the q a q a q a um I, I why did i do that i don't know why i did that i feel like I, it's because i'm missing the music i need like a music like a chime or something i need like a i need like a theme tune for that but without further ado let's get into episode three the bardo loop bardo total bardo total is the name of the tibetan book of the dead one of at least in the west most famous buddhist texts to have ever been written and there is so much that can be said about the book but i will begin by explaining that bardo todo translates directly to the great liberation by hearing in the intermediate state what does that mean well it the book itself deals with everything that comes between your lives between reincarnations it's the intermediate place bardo as a term in itself can be broken down into the words bar which means movement and do which means stepping stone or island so together they kind of come to describe the movement between these states that you go through when you transition from one life to another now bardo total as a book is so so famous now it, it interestingly it was brought to the west in the early 20th century um it was actually first translated i think in the early 19th century but it it became very popular in the west in the 20th century um and it's inspired a lot of western thought um carl jung the psych the psychoanalyst he actually wrote a commentary of it and in it he called it sublime he said it was one of the most perfect works um of of buddhist thought he explained that like it was the the be all and end all of buddhist psychology and it actually really interestingly inspired a lot of his psychoanalytical theories um more than this though it inspired john lennon in a lot of his music and there's been so many so many other works of art that have come from inspiration from this book now the tibetan book of the dead is actually three chapters that are taken from a greater book like a bigger piece of writing um this book was called peaceful and wrathful deities natural Re- liberation through recognition of enlightened intention again they're really bad with these these names like the most mis- like it's so difficult to understand um this book was written supposedly by one of the most famous tibetan buddhists a man called padmasambhava now padmasambhava prophesized that one day his teachings would become corrupted so he hid all of these little scriptures and writings around tibet in places like caves and up mountains and at the bottom of lakes 
the point of this was that in for centuries to come they would be found here and there and unveiled spontaneously not only this though but he also hid them in and i quote the mind and heart of someone to come now the teachings were called terma or treasures and the people who discovered them were called treasure hunters and whoever would discover them in the future was thought to be one of Padmasambhava's reincarnated disciples. The Bardo Todal itself is meant to be a kind of set of instructions for people who are dying and people who have died. It's meant to guide you through the 49 days that last between your death and rebirth into a new life. Within Tibetan Buddhism, the book is recited at funerals beside the corpse and is meant to ease their consciousness in death and is meant to help them arrive at a favourable rebirth. As well as this, when people are dying, actually you are meant to go to them and recite it so that when they do die, their consciousness holds on to the instructions in the book and they can again navigate the, the bardo states that come in that transitional period between lives. In Buddhism, the concept of samsara is the word given to the cycle of death and rebirth. It's the loop in which all consciousness is trapped in. You're born, you die, you're born again. And the book, which is called The Great Liberation by Hearing in the Intermediate States, this great liberation that it talks about is the idea that you can escape the cycle. The point of the book is so that you can escape the cycle while in the bardo states between lives. And at the start of the book, it actually explains that you can achieve liberation by, I quote, merely remembering the instructions given. The book describes a series of bardos that you pass through. And within the chapters, it mentions three. The three bardos are half of the picture of samsara, though. There's other three, and all six of these together form the cycle of reincarnation. There's chikhai bardo, which is the bardo that comes at the moment of death. There's chonyad bardo, that is called the dream state after death, or the bardo of re reality. There's Siddha Bardo, which is the Bardo of Reba. These are the ones that are mentioned in the Tibetan Book of the Dead. But aside from this, there's the Kenya Bardo, which is the first Bardo of life. And it lasts from when you're conceived until your last breath. There's Milan Bardo, which is the dream Bardo, where you go to when you sleep. And then there's Samten Bardo, the Bardo of meditation. And it's experienced through intense meditation. It's like that meditative state that you get to. Now, in life, you kind of float between these bardos. Milan bardo, the dream bardo, and Samten bardo, the meditation bardo, are kind of subsets of the bardo of life and birth. While you're in the Kenya bardo, just walking around and living, you dip into the dream bardo when you sleep. Or if you meditate intensely, you could taste Samten Bardo, the Bardo of Meditation. The Tibetan Book of the Dead deals with the first three, though. What comes at the moment of death and up until the moment of rebirth. 
Now, I'll explain what the book says happens at each of these bardos. Starting with the first, Chikai Bardo, the bardo at the moment of death. Supposedly, at the moment of your death, your vital force sinks into the nerve center of wisdom. Okay, what does this mean? So, your vital force is kind of like your spirit or your life force or your energy. Now, there's a lot of different cultures have a different word for them. Like you've probably heard about like your chi in in the chi- in Chinese, or hi- Hindus call it your your prana, and and Jews called it your ruwa. There's there's different words for this kind of like energy that is at the base of your being of of your life. Now, when you when you that instant that you die, you experience a state called the luminous mind. Now, when you experience the luminous mind you're said to taste what is the ultimate truth of the universe. They describe it as a clear light. And if you manage to recognize it and accept it from the bottom of your heart, then supposedly you're, you become enlightened at that moment and you become free of samsara. But this doesn't really happen that often. <laughs> and more often than not, you go and continue onto the second part of the way they explain it in the book is, and I quote, knowledge of this information is meant to cause the naked consciousness to be re- recognized as the clear light. And thirdly, recognizing one's own self, one become permanently united with the Dharmakaya and liberation will be certain. So what it's saying is if you recognize the clear light and recognize it as your pure consciousness, if you truly understand that, then you grasp enlightenment and you escape the cycle of life and death. You're liberated. Now, really interestingly, when you read the book, it's not really a book. It is more like a set of instructions. It directly tells you what to read out and how to read out. There's different bits of text. There's different phrases, for example, that it says should be repeated seven times or should be repeated... until yellow liquid seeps out of the organs of the deceased person it's all it's all very like superstitious is the word it's like a very specific set of things that you should do and supposedly repeating like the phrases in the right way um explaining the, the 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 instructions to the dying person in the way that it tells you to is meant to help them navigate their way through dying and through death. The second bardo, or the chonyad bardo, is the dream state that comes after death, and is also called the bardo of reality. Now this is a really intense state, it's a really intense one, because supposedly your consciousness will come face to face with these kind of illusions and visions and apparitions. Now, The book explains that the apparitions aren't real, but if you don't know this, then you'll be really confused and that confusion, as well as all of the karma that you bring with yourself from your past lives, they mix together and they draw you into a different rebirth. And if you react to it in a bad way and all of your prior karma comes alongside that, you can be born into a, a birth that would kind of like be a couple steps back in your path to enlightenment. So obviously you don't want this. 
Now, the book explains that you need to stop clinging on to life and that you should move, move on. It says, and I quote, O child of Buddha nature, you're leaving this world. Even if you remain attached, you don't have the power to stay. You can see that is really telling you to like let go. It's telling you, like, chill out. It's okay. You're dead. There's no need to be afraid. Just allow it to happen. Go with the flow. Now, it, it tells the the dying person or the dead person that, and I quote again, do not fear them. Do not be terrified. Do not be awed. They cannot harm you for you are beyond death now. It's trying to calm you down. It's saying that all of the, the lights and the the people and the deities and all this, the, these visions that you see, they're not real. They won't hurt you. You're beyond death. Now, aside from just lights and visions, I mentioned that you come face to face with deities. Now, these deities are both peaceful and wrathful. There's different ones. Now, the book tells you to see these deities as a mandala within your body. In Buddhism, mandala is a Sanskrit word and it describes these kind of paintings that you, you can find if you Google that. They're, they're gorgeous. They're really intricate and they have loads of symbols and patterns. And they're usually meant to represent like the spiritual journey. And they're, they're associated with meditation. A lot of the time you meditate face to face with one. And they're meant to be a kind of map of the path that you take. They're, they're really amazing pieces of art. And um, you, you'll be able to see them on the Instagram. So shameless plug in the middle of the podcast. Follow the Instagram. Anyway. These deities that you, you come face to face with. They can like amaze you and make you like full of joy and or they can like absolutely terrify you. And the book explains that like both of these reactions are equally bad. Don't jump to any like severe emotional state because of these. You need to recognize that the deities are actually a manifestation of yourself. They're, they're part of your own mind. They're not separate from you. And if you manage to do this, then you get liberated and you, you're free of samsara. Again, you see this kind of theme about letting go of yourself, letting go of yourself as separate and seeing that the clear light or all of these deities and visions, they're part of you and you are them. And, and this is the way that you escape the, the samsara. Spoiler alert, it doesn't happen that common that you become enlightened. Um, so more often than not, you go on to the third bardo. Now, this bardo is called the Siddha bardo, or the bardo of rebirth. It's the part where you're born into a new body. Now, all of the karma that you've accumulated in the life you just lived, and all of the lives that you have lived, all of the karma that's attached to your, your pure consciousness, now, that follows you, and it decides what realm that you're reborn into. And there's a lot of different realms. There's six, to be exact. There's the realm of the gods, the demigods, the animals, the hungry ghosts. There's a hell realm, but there's also the human realm. Now, in the final bardo, you're faced with what they call womb entrances. And your karma kind of like magnetizes you, like attracts you towards one. And once you pass through the entrance, the transition is complete and you're reborn. According to the book, this is where those bardos end. You're reborn, you go about your life, 
if you're lucky, you're enlightened, you escape the cycle. If you're not, you accumulate whatever karma you do and you're born again to have another go. What I want to talk about, though, is these six realms that you can be born into. Now, I think one one common misconception about reincarnation is that you're a human and you die and you're born as another human. But as you can see, there's actually six different realms. There's five apart from humans that you can be born into. The Buddhists divide them into kind of three positive realms and three negative realms. The positive ones are that of the gods, the demigods, and the humans. The negative ones are that of the animals, the hungry ghosts, and the hells. In Buddhist thought, animals are quite lowly births because they're driven purely by impulse and need. So it's not a good place to be born into. You can kind of guess that the hell, hell realm is, is a bad place. It's meant to be a place you go when you accumulate a lot of really bad karma. And for a while, you, you get tortured and you suffer a lot. Um, but it is temporary and you can be born into another realm after it, which is different to how, for example, the Catholics might, might see hell. Now, the third negative realm was the realm of the hungry ghosts. And it's this idea of these beings that are purely div driven by this like unquenchable desire and they, they chase this kind of satisfaction that they'll never find. Again, you can see how that's not a great life to be born into. Of the positive realms, the, the realm of the gods is where you go when you accumulate a lot of really good karma. Interestingly, though, it's not that great because it's so free of suffering that there's actually no motivation for you to escape samsara. There's, there's no reason for you to, to do that kind of spiritual work to become enlightened. And because of this, you develop attachments and you're just stuck to this cycle of, of life and rebirth and nothing, nothing truly like worth, worthy comes from it. The realm of the demigods is similar. It's slightly lower than the realm of the gods and there's a lot of war and, and but a lot of like pride and attachment and things like this come from it. But it is still a, a positive realm. The human realm is the only realm where Buddhas can appear. Buddhas being enlightened beings, actualized people who escape samsara. It's really interesting because the human realm is the only place where you can achieve liberation. You reach nirvana, as they say. They explain in Buddhism that the human realm is special because there's a ba balance between the higher and the lower realms. There's not so much suffering that you can't escape. There's also not so much like pleasure that, that there's no reason to escape. And that's why they describe the human incarnation as something really, really precious. It's also explained to be quite rare, really rare, actually, more rare than the other incarnations. There was, there's a famous Buddhist analogy that says that the human incarnation is as rare as a turtle putting its neck through the hole of a string floating on top of a vast ocean. The point is that you've done really well. Like a lot of good karma must have followed you for you to be born as a human. You did really good. You're doing great. You're off to an ama amazing, amazing start. 
And being human is a really unique and lucky opportunity for you as a soul, as like pure consciousness, because it's the only time that you can reach Buddhahood. They say that you shouldn't take it for granted and you shouldn't get caught in obsessions and attachments. And you should understand this blessing, love, be loved and do the best that you can. I think that's a really nice sentiment to leave this on. So I'll see you on episode four biography of the opium poppy all the links are in the link tree um thank you so much for listening i'm sorry about the delay with getting this episode out but that wraps up episode three the bottle loop